0: In this recording, we're going to go through some of the ideas of Reb Beryl Salavechik about the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek, of destroying Amalek. Reb Beryl was the oldest son of Reb Velvel Salavechik, the briskarov, and he was a grandson of Reb Chaim Salavechik. These ideas are quoted in volume 8 of the Torah journal Yeshurin. There's a collection of Reb Beryl's Shiurim on Megillah and Purim. And in the back of that, starting on page 377, there's a longer discussion about the the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek, and all of this was recorded by his student, Reb Simcha Kessler. So we're going to go through some of the ideas that he presents in that discussion of the mitzvah to destroy Amalek, and he organizes it differently, but I'm going to center this discussion around a question that the brisker posed, and in the course of his discussion, Reberal presents four possible approaches to resolve it. The question that the Briskerov asked is that in the Haftorah of Parshas Zohar and the famous story of Sha'ul's battle against Agag, the king of Amalek, where Sha'ul makes the fatal error of keeping Agag and some of the Amalek animals and wealth around. So the Navi describes how when he gets back, Shmuel is very angry with him because of this terrible mistake. And Shmuel goes ahead himself and kills Agag. So it's a very dramatic and tragic story. So the Navi and Shmuel Aleph Tesvav, Gimel, it tells about the scene when Shmuel kills Agag and it describes Bayomer Shmuel, Shmuel said, shikla harbecha, imecha, Shmuel, es Agag. Shmuel says to Agag, the king of Amalek, before he kills him, just like your sword killed women, so too your mother is going to lose you and I'm going to kill you. So basically Shmuel tells him that he's going to kill him in retaliation for the many people that that Agag had killed since Agag was a murderer. So therefore he too deserved the death penalty and that's why Shmuel killed him. So the Briskerov posed the question, why did Shmuel need to explain himself? There's a mitzvah in the Torah to kill Amalek and Agag was the king of Amalek. So of course he deserved to be killed. Why did Shmuel make it dependent on the fact that Agag was a murderer and Shmuel was retaliating for the fact that he was a murderer? Even if Agag had been a perfectly fine citizen, because he was a member of Amalek, he deserved to be killed under the mitzvah of destroying Amalek, so Shmuel didn't need an explanation, and Shmuel's explanation seems to undermine the very mitzvah of destroying Amalek. So in the course of Reb discussion of this mitzvah, he presents four different possible solutions. The first one that we'll go through is that Reb says the mitzvah of destroying Amalek is not just a practical mitzvah to eradicate and to kill the members of Amalek, but there's an added component to this mitzvah that we also have to feel hatred towards Amalek for what they did. And this idea he finds in the language of the Rambam, in the Rambam Sefer HaMitzvos, Mitzvos Hasei Kuf Pei Tes, when he describes the mitzvah to destroy Amalek, so he says, we should remember Amalek we should remember the terrible attack Amalek did against us when we were in the desert. The And we should hate Amalek all the time and inspire us with love language to fight against him, the nizaris ha'am lisno oso, and we should strengthen people and motivate them to hate Amalek. So the Rambam puts a strong emphasis not only on fighting against Amalek or attacking them, but also on hating them, that we should specifically make it our business to remember what they did to us in the desert, that they attacked us when we were in a vulnerable place. So we should hate them for that, and that's why we should go to war for them so there's a double component here not only do we go to war and fight against Amalek but we also have to remember exactly what they did and hate them that hatred that anger has to be part of the war against Amalek and based on this the Rambam explains why when Shmuel the Navi later on in history issued the command to Shaul to go fight against Amalek so he begins with a little bit of history he says he says that now it's time to revenge what Amalek did against the Jewish people So why is it necessary to give the history of Amalek and the Jews In order to tell the Jews to go do the mitzvah of attacking Amalek So according to the Rambam, the reason is Because not only do the Jews need to physically fight Amalek But they need to also be angry about what Amalek did So for that it was important to go through some of the history And the same point is reiterated by the Rambam in the Mishnah Torah In Hilchus Malachim, in Hei, Halacha Hey, When again he describes the mitzvah of destroying Amalek, he says that we have to remember specifically what Amalek did to us in order to be angry and to want to get revenge. So this is an important component of the mitzvah of fighting against Amalek that it also has to come with the emotions of anger and hatred that we have to want to take revenge against them for what they did. And based on this, Rabbi explains the way the Torah describes the mitzvah of destroying Amalek it gives us some background information. It says that Amalek attacked the Jews when they were tired and weary from travel in the desert and they didn't fear God. They just went ahead and attacked these vulnerable, weak people. Now, why does the Torah, again, have to give us the context and the history of what happened? So the answer, according to the Rambam's approach, is that that is an integral component of this mitzvah. It's not enough to just fight against Amalek, but a person, needs to also remember what they did and to feel that anger against them. So that's why the Torah tells us the whole story and it emphasizes in what a vulnerable and weak situation the Jewish people were. So it was really a terrible cruelty that Amalek attacked them. So because of that, we should remember specifically the anger and the rage that we should feel against Amalek. And in this way, the mitzvah of destroying Amalek is different from another mitzvah, which seems similar, which is that the Jews are supposed to kill the seven nations that live in Canaan. So even though that's a mitzvah to destroy these nations that are going to cause problems, but that's different than Amalek because there's no emotional component to it. It's simply a practical mitzvah to kill those nations, as opposed to the mitzvah to eradicate Amalek, which needs to be accompanied also with strong emotions. Now, Reberel does point out that if the Jews would destroy Amalek without feeling that anger, so they would fulfill the mitzvah of eradicating Amalek, but there's an additional mitzvah to remember what Amalek did, and that's the part of the mitzvah which requires that the Jewish people feel the anger towards Amalek, because of the cruelty of what they did, so that's included in the component of remembering what Amalek did to us, so that we feel that hatred towards them. So if this is the way the mitzvah is supposed to be done, so Rabberl suggests that that's why Shmuel went through Agag's history and how murderous he was because he was trying to work up the rage towards Amalek so that when he killed Agag, he would do it from a place of hatred. So that's why Shmuel went through how Agag was a murderer, even though he didn't necessarily need that because Agag was an Amaleki, but Shmuel wanted to feel the hatred, so he was trying to work himself up the way the Rambam describes it. So that's approach number one. The issue with that is that Shmuel seems to focus specifically on what Agag himself personally had done. He doesn't seem to be focused on what the nation of Amalek had historically done to the Jewish people, and that's not exactly what the Rambam is saying. The Rambam is not saying that a person should be angry at a specific Amalek. He's saying that they should be angry at what the nation of Amalek did historically to the Jewish people. So that's the question on that first approach. Now, interestingly, related to this idea, Reberal quotes from the Yalkut and Bishalach that there's a story between Eliphaz Hataymani, who is the son of Esav, and his son Amalek, who is the founder of the Amalek nation. So Amalek asked his father, Eliphaz, who did have some sympathy for the Jewish people, he saved Yaakov's life, Amalek asked his father, Father, who's going to get this world and the next world? So Eliphaz answered him that the Jewish people are going to succeed in this world and the next world. And the best thing he could do is go dig wells for them and fix the roads. In other words, be part of the Jewish people, help them out, and then he'll succeed also. But Amalek, meaning this individual who was the son of Eliphaz, did not listen to his father and instead he went and attacked the Jewish people. So according to Reb what the medrash is hinting at is that the first battle between Amalek and the Jewish people actually included the man Amalek himself. It wasn't just the nation of Amalek versus the Jews, meaning the descendants of Amalek, but it actually included the originator of the whole group, Amalek the man himself. And this would explain the language of the Torah. It says, That Yehoshua defeated Amalek and his people. So there's a reference to two different groups. There's Amalek and Amo, the nation. Now, according to the simple reading that it was the nation of Amalek who attacked the Jews, so it's unclear who is this other nation that's being referenced. But the way Reb understands it, Amalek, the man himself, attacked the Jews along with his nation, meaning his descendants. So that's the reference in the Torah to the two different groups because Amalek himself, the man himself, was also there. Now, the Ibn Ezra on that passage Quotes that Amalek was the name of the king, so it was like Pharaoh the king of that nation was always called Amalek. So that's the reference in the Torah to Amalek and the nation. It means the king and the nation. Or the Ibn Ezra suggests that maybe another nation joined up with Amalek. So it means the nation of Amalek, as well as another nation that joined them. But either way, Rabberel's suggestion is an interesting one, even if it's not the Pashup shot. So that's all the first approach, that there has to be a component of hatred towards Amalek in addition to fighting them. Now, the second idea that Rabberel quotes is from Rabbi Yehoshua Horodner and he suggested based on the view of the Urayim. So he holds that the whole mitzvah of destroying Amalek does not apply to regular Jews. It only applies to the king. So only when there's a melech does the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek apply. So if that's the case, that would also explain why Shmuel attributed his killing of Agag to the fact that Agag was a murderer because Shmuel was not the king. The mitzvah of destroying Amalek only applied to Shaul, who was the king, but Shmuel was the prophet. So he had no mitzvah to destroy Amalek, so when he killed Agag, it had to be for a different reason, which is that Agag was a murderer. So that would also explain why Shmuel attributed what he was doing to something other than the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek. Now, the question is, why didn't Shaul, though, kill him? Because he was the king, so he did have the mitzvah to destroy Amalek. So here, Rabbi Yoshua Hardenar suggests that since Shmuel had told Shaul the prophecy, that because Shaul did not eradicate Amalek because of his terrible sin, he was going to lose the monarchy, he was not going to be the king, him and his family forever so as a result of that, Sha'ul so to speak, lost the kingship so he was no longer halachically the king, so he also didn't have a mitzvah to destroy Amalek now this Rep Barrel questions because he says that's not true that Sha'ul lost the kingship at that moment, all that we can say is that it was a prophecy for the future that he would eventually lose it, but 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 it's clear that he was still the king so long as he was alive, so therefore he would have had the mitzvah to destroy Amalek. But either way, this approach could explain why Shmuel did not have a mitzvah to destroy Amalek. But the issue with this answer is that the view of the Urayim is controversial. So the safer Urayim does hold that the mitzvah to destroy Amalek does not apply to regular Jews. It only applies when there's a king and it only applies to the king. On the other hand, there are others who disagree. So the Rambam, in his Sefer mitzvos, he understands that the mitzvah to destroy Amalek applies to the nation of the Jewish people. It does not apply to each individual Jew, but it's not only a mitzvah for the king, it applies to the nation as a whole to go to war with Amalek. And the same emerges from his discussion in the Mishnah Torah, in Hilchos Malach in Perik when he describes killing the seven nations of Canaan, so he says each person has to do so. But he omits that line when it comes to destroying Amalek. So it sounds like it's not a mitzvah on each individual, but it's a mitzvah on the nation of the Jewish people as a whole. And then there's the view of the Sefer Achinuch in Mitzvah Taf He holds that the mitzvah to destroy Amalek is on each individual Jew, however they're able to do it. So it's not only a mitzvah to go to war with Amalek, but it's also a mitzvah for each individual to try to eradicate Amalek. So obviously, according to the Rambam and the Chinuch, this approach would not explain why Shmuel did not have a mitzvah to destroy 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 Amalek because he would have had a mitzvah either as an individual or as part of the Jewish people at war with Amalek. Now, the third approach that Raberel goes through is based on a comment of the smag in his Sefer mitzvos, losa se Reish chav vav, and this is quoted by the Hagos Maimani at the beginning of the Rambam Hilchos Melachim Perak Hei. The smag writes, mitzvah zu enon oheges ad yemosa Mashiach laachar kibusha aretz The mitzvah to destroy Amalek does not apply until after Mashiach comes, and they recapture Eretz Yisrael. The Torah describes the mitzvah of destroying Amalek when Hashem settles you at peace from all of your enemies. So the Jews are totally comfortable and settled in Israel, and then they should go after Amalek. So according to the smog, that's only going to happen in the days of Mashiach. Now the Radvaz questions the Smag because why then did Shaul have to go to war against Amalek? That was not in the times of Mashiach. So why was there a mitzvah to destroy Amalek before Mashiach came in the times of Shmuel and Shaul? So Reb suggests that maybe in fact there was no actual mitzvah to destroy Amalek, but there was something different. There was a special command, a prophecy that Shmuel got that Shaul should go to war with Amalek, not because of the Torah's mitzvah, which does not apply until Mashiach comes, but rather it was a special command from Shmuel's prophecy, which sometimes happens that a prophet gets a command to do something even though it's not a mitzvah. And in fact, the language of the Rambam in his preface to his commentary on the Mishnah is very interesting in this regard because he says that sometimes the prophet gets a command to do something even if it's not a mitzvah. And one of his examples is when Shmuel told Shaul to go to war with Amalek. So it seems like this was not a full-fledged mitzvah, but it was a special command of Shaul. So if that's the case, says Reberal, that explains why Shmuel did not have an obligation to kill Agag because only... Only Sha'ul had a special obligation to go to war against Amalek. But Shmuel himself did not have that obligation and the mitzvah of the Torah did not apply because it was before Mashiach came. So therefore, Shmuel had to kill Agag for a different reason, not because he was an Amaleki. Now, Reb Beryl himself explains the smag a little differently than the literal words. The smag seems to say literally that the whole mitzvah of Mechias Amalek does not apply until the time's of. Mashiach. But Rabbi Beryl explains that he means something a little different, that it applies when the Jews are settled, when they're at peace from all their other enemies, so then they can turn to the business of destroying Amalek. But so long as the Jews are trying to defend themselves against their already existing enemies, so they're not able to focus on this mitzvah. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the mitzvah of Mashiach Amalek only applies after Mashiach comes, but that's just an example of when the Jews will be completely at peace from everybody else and be able to turn to this mitzvah but if there would be a time in Jewish history when the Jews were settled in Israel and at peace even if Mashiach hadn't come then the mitzvah would apply then and that resolves a difficulty on the smog's view which is the Gemara seems to say that once the Jews entered Israel and they appointed a king they were obligated in the mitzvah to destroy Amalek even though Mashiach had not come. So the answer is that according to the smog, if the Jews would be at peace and settled and no one would be fighting with them, so then they would have been obligated to destroy Amalek. But since there's no times in Jewish history, and certainly not nowadays, when the Jews are totally at peace, so therefore the mitzvah of destroying Amalek doesn't kick in. Now, interestingly, this basic idea, the way Rebbe Beryl explains the smog, also appears in the Ibn Ezra's commentary at the end of Parshas Kiseitze, the beginning of Kisavo, where he says that in order for the mitzvah to destroy Amalek to take effect, it's not enough that the Jews conquer and live in Israel, but they also have to be at peace. So that's similar to how Reb explains the Smag. Now, according to this view, it still remains that Shaul needed a special command from Shmuel in order to go to war against Amalek, because in the times of Shaul, they were certainly not at peace with their neighbors. If you read through the Navi, they're constantly at war with their neighbors. So the mitzvah of destroying Amalek would not have kicked in because they were not at peace. So that's why Shmuel needed to give a special command to Shaul to go to war against Amalek. And again, that explains why Shmuel himself did not have the mitzvah to destroy Amalek because the command was specifically for Shaul not for Shmuel. So that's the view of the smog. And again, there's two basic ways to read it. The literal reading is that the smog holds the mitzvah to destroy Amalek only applies after Mashiach comes. And Rabbarol's explanation is that it applies at any time that the Jews would be living in Israel peacefully, but that has basically yet to happen, and the assumption is that the smog is giving an example that the time when that will happen is after Mashiach comes. So that's the third approach to this question. Now, he quotes a very interesting insight from his father, the brisker Rav, for those who disagree with the smog, and they hold that the mitzvah to destroy Amalek applies even if the Jews are not at peace. So why did there need to be a special command from Shmuel to Shaul to go to war with Amalek that should have been obvious because it's a mitzvah of the Torah. So the Rav explained with the very original idea, he said that the mitzvah to go to war with Amalek does not apply in general. It only applies when there's a specific prophecy from Hashem that commands the Jews to fulfill this mitzvah. But in general, this is not a mitzvah that the Jews go ahead and perform on their own. So this is a major limitation in the whole mitzvah to destroy Amalek, that it does not apply in ordinary times and the people on their own can't decide to do it. It has to be a prophecy from Hashem and that's why Shmuel came to Shaul and gave him a specific prophecy. And the Briskorov explained, that's why in the Torah, it describes the mitzvah as Melchama Lashem, Hashem That Hashem has a war against Amalek. Why is it Hashem's war and not the Jews' war? So according to his idea, it makes sense because the war needs to begin with a prophecy from Hashem. So it really is Hashem's war. The Jews don't decide to do this mitzvah on their own. And this leads him to the formulation that the whole mitzvah to destroy Amalek is not a mitzvah like we have other mitzvahs, like people put on tefillin or tzitzis or daven. Those are mitzvahs that each person does. The mitzvah to destroy Amalek is a mitzvah to go to war with Amalek. So that's a similar idea to the one we mentioned earlier based on the Rambam, that there is no mitzvah on each individual like wearing tefillin and davening. It's a mitzvah on the community to go to war. So the Riskerov formulates that a bit differently, that the mitzvah to destroy Amalek is not a mitzvah to just go ahead and do the mitzvah. Each person should do it like every other mitzvah, but it's a Mitzvah to go to war, and that can only be done through a prophecy. So that's why the mitzvah of destroying Amalek must begin with a prophecy to do so, but you can't just go ahead and do it on your own. Now, Rev. Beryl questions this because this is a very novel idea that the mitzvah of destroying Amalek one can't just perform, even though it's written in the Torah, and they need to wait for a special prophecy in order to go ahead and do it. But again, that's how the Briskorov explains why there needed to be a prophecy from Shmuel to Shaul in order to go ahead and perform this mitzvah. The fourth approach that Reberal suggests is a very interesting idea, and this is based on a commentary of Reb Chaim to the psukim that tell about Shmuel and Shaul's discussion After Shaul made the mistake of leaving Agag and the animals alive. So the Navi tells that Shmuel said to him, why did you leave the animals alive? So Shaul responds because the people had mercy on them and they wanted to bring sacrifices to Hashem. So Shmuel says to him, but you didn't listen to what Hashem told you to do. So, Shaul responds, Asher Shamati Bikol Hashem. No, I did listen to the voice of Hashem. So then Shmuel says to him, Does Hashem want you to bring sacrifices when he told you specifically to kill them? Ya'an stvar Hashem mayim ascha because you despised the word of Hashem, so he despised you from being the king, and you're no longer going to be the king. So basically, Shmuel's final argument to Shaul is that you should have just followed the words of Hashem and not imposed your own thinking once you started trying to figure out what Hashem wants and trying to be smarter than the actual command of Hashem, so you totally messed it up. And it's better to just listen to the words of Hashem literally and not to try to include your own thoughts and your own ideas about the world. So that's the basic discussion between Shmuel and Shaul. So there's a few odd things about this discussion. First of all, Shmuel says to Sha'ul, you didn't listen to Hashem. And Sha'ul just flat out contradicts him and says, I did listen to Hashem. So what sort of debate is that? Sha'ul's not adding any information. He's just insisting that he did listen to Hashem when Shmuel just told him that he didn't. So it's a little bit odd. Also, then Shmuel reiterates his point and he doesn't say you didn't listen to Hashem. Now he uses the phrase you despise the word of Hashem. So there seems to be some sort of shift in what Shmuel is saying, but it's not totally clear. So basically, there seems to be more to this conversation than is recorded in the surface psukim and Rab Chaim tried to explain what's going on here. So he explained that there was a halachic debate going on between Shmuel and Shah. The halacha was that Shaul had to destroy all of the wealth and all of the animals of the Amalekim, so there should be no memory of Amalek left. But the rule to destroy the property of Amalek would only take effect after all the Amalekim had been killed and the Jews acquired the property, so now they would have a mitzvah to destroy the property. But Shaul came up with a clever workaround, which was before the Jews acquired the property of Amalek, he sanctified it to Hashem. So after they had killed out Amalek, now the animals were sitting there, and at that point, they were hefker, they were ownerless, the Jews did not own them yet. So before the Jews acquired those animals, Sha'ul sanctified all of the animals to be used as sacrifices, which was not prohibited because in fact, at that point, there was no commandment to destroy all of the animals. These were just ownerless animals. Had they acquired them, then they would have had to destroy them. But because they sanctified them before they acquired the animals, so at that moment the animals became sanctified and the Jews did not need to kill out the animals. So that's what Shaul responded to Shmuel. Shmuel told him, you didn't listen to what Hashem said to kill out the animals. And Shaul responded, we did listen because we sanctified the animals before we took ownership of them. So while the animals were hefker, we sanctified them. So by the time we took them, they were already sanctified and we did not have a commandment to destroy them. So that was Shaul's response to Shmuel, why he had not violated the word of Hashem because of this workaround that he had sanctified the animals rather than acquiring them. So now Shmuel realized that on a technical level, Shaul was correct. He had not violated the word of Hashem, but there was a different issue, which is he had tried to be too Clever. And instead of just following what Hashem said to do, he tried to work around it. So even though technically he worked around it, but the value of what Shaul had done was wrong because he should have just followed what Hashem said and not tried to be clever. So that's why Shmuel now responded that he despised the word of Hashem. Because even if technically Shaul was right, but it showed bad values not listening to Hashem. So therefore, Shmuel told him that he despised the word of Hashem. So that's the back. And forth between Shmuel and Shaul, according to Rab Chaim's explanation. So, Rab Beryl added to this approach that this only explains why Shaul left the animals alive. But there was a second mistake that Shaul made, which is not only had he left the animals alive, he left Agag, the king of Amalek, alive. So, how did he explain that in technical terms? So, Rab Beryl adds to Rab Chaim's approach by explaining that there was a technical reason why he was allowed to leave Agag alive and that's based on the comment of the Rambam in Hilchos Melachim in the beginning of chapter 6 the Rambam says something very important which is that the Jews never go to war with any nation that wants to surrender so before any Jewish war, whether it's an obligatory war, whether it's with Amalek whether it's with the seven nations of Canaan any war that the Jews are ever going to wage, first they ask the nation, do you want to surrender, and if the nation says yes, then the Jews would not go to war against them. So the whole notion of fighting wars against the seven nations of Canaan or Amalek is only if those nations choose to go to war against us. But if they ever decide that they want to surrender and not go to war, they're going to accept the terms of the Jewish people, so then we would never go to war. So this is a very important approach of the Rambam, that the Jews never wage war with anyone that doesn't want to fight against them. So according to this, Rabbi Beryl says that what happened was before Sha'ul went to war with the Amalekim, he offered them the chance to surrender and they chose to go to war. But once Sha'ul defeated them and he captured Agag, so Agag realized it was over, so he immediately surrendered and he accepted the Sheva Mitzvos Bnei Noach, meaning he accepted to live according to the terms of the Jewish people. So at that point, Sha'ul could no longer kill Agag. So there was an actual reason why Sha'ul left Agag alive because once he captured him and Agag surrendered, so then Sha'ul couldn't kill him because at that point Agag didn't want to go to war. So that's what Sha'ul responded to Shmuel, I left Agag alive based on the halacha that any non-Jew who does not want to be at war with us we're not allowed to go to war with so I was not allowed to kill Agag. Now even though the Rambam is specifically talking about before the War Begins... So you could say that once the nation decides to go to war with the Jews, they can no longer change their mind in the middle of the war, but Rabbi Beryl holds that at any point they could change their mind, before the war or even during the war. So once Agag was captured, even though it was in the middle of the war, and he had originally chosen to go to war with the Jews, but once he surrendered, the Jews were no longer able to kill him. So Shaul had followed the proper halacha. Shaul's response to Shaul again was you shouldn't have given him even the chance to surrender by capturing him because the mitzvah of Hashem was to destroy Amalek and Shaul instead chose to capture him, which gave him the chance to surrender, which meant that Shaul couldn't kill him. So even though technically Shaul did the right thing, but his values were off. And that's why Shmuel said to him that he's going to lose the kingdom because he despises what Hashem told him to do and he doesn't follow what Hashem said to do, literally. So again, that was the back and forth between Shmuel and Sha'ul regarding why he left Agag alive. So according to this whole approach, it would also answer the Rav's question, why did Shmuel have to attribute killing Agag to something other than the mitzvah to destroy Amalek? So again, this makes sense because Agag had successfully saved himself once Agag surrendered to the Jews and accepted to live according to the Shavuot Mitzvahs B'nai Noach so now they couldn't kill him not Shaul or Shmuel or anyone else because of the mitzvah of destroying Amalek. So Shmuel wasn't able to kill him under those terms. So that's why Shmuel came up with a different reason to kill him because he's a murderer so he deserves the death penalty. So this would also answer the Brisker Rav's question. And Reb relates that when he presented this solution to his father, the Briskarav. So the Briskerov agreed that this is a good answer. And he added that the view of the Rambam is supported from the Psukim themselves. Because the language of the Navi when Shmuel tells Shaul to go fight Amalek is Go destroy the sinners Amalek. So he doesn't just say to go destroy Amalek. He calls them specifically the sinners of Amalek. Now according to the Rambam that makes sense. Because he couldn't kill them if they were Willing to surrender and live a proper life. The only way he could kill them is if they were defiant and they continued to sin and they refused to surrender. So that's why Shmuel said to Sha'ul, go and kill Amalek, but not all Amalek, only the people who refused to surrender and continue to sin. So the Rav had a proof to the Rambam's overall view from the language of the Navi. So this is a very interesting approach and it has a very important message because a lot of times people wonder that it seems like a very violent mitzvah to go destroy a nation. But according to the Rambam, the mitzvah only applies if they continue to wage war with the Jews, if they're willing to give up their war against the Jewish people. So then we would never go choose to do battle with them on our own. Once they're willing to stop going after the Jews, then we would never fight with them. According to the Rambam, we always give them the choice to surrender or to continue the fight. And only if they continue the fight, then do the Jewish people go to war, and Rabbeinu adds two very important ideas to this view of the Rambam. First of all, according to Rabbeinu, they could surrender at any time. So even if they choose to go to war, and then in the middle of the war they choose to surrender, that would also be sufficient to save their lives. So this is a very humanitarian approach that we don't attack Amalek at any point even in the middle of a war, so long as they don't want to be at war with us. In addition, Rabbaro believes that any individual Amaleki can opt out of the war. So even if the nation of Amalek chooses to go to war with the Jews, still any individual Amaleki could opt out of the war, and the Jews would not kill him, because that's what happened with Hagag. Even though the nation was at war with the Jews, he himself surrendered, so therefore he was saved. So again, this is a very humanitarian and high bar that the Torah sets, the Jews can destroy Amalek because Amalek want to destroy them, but only if Amalek continues to want to destroy them at that very moment. And that individual Amaleki is committed to the fight against the Jews. Otherwise, we're required to protect his life.